Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. I'm so excited that you guys are here. If you're new with us, if you're watching online, I want to welcome you. My name's Danny. I am beyond grateful that you joined us today for our gratefulness series. Uh, I do believe this is the second to last series, second to last week of the series. And uh, I have some really, really powerful stuff planned for today, but I'm not exactly sure how it's going to come across. It's been powerful for me. Uh, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to come across. So I want to start off with just prayer that the Lord would remove any distractions that, that we brought in with us and that we would just be prepared to hear from him and uh, to be impacted by him, to, be, uh, to not be entertained or, or, or uh, impressed, but to just be, just be overcome with the sense that, that the God who made you and the God who made me is in this room, that he's talking with you and that he has something for you. So let's do that now before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am, I am so thankful that, that we can gather today as family and talk about you. I am thankful that we can gather today in this room and accomplish this, uh, this thing, Lord, that I, I really feel like you want to accomplish. I ask today that any distractions would be removed, that every story and all the steps that brought people into this place right now would be remembered, and that you would weave those, Lord, into a message perfect for the people who are here and listening now. Thank you that we get to be a part of this community, a part of this, this thing you call the church. We are so very blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so today, uh, I'm going to talk about something that I am incredibly passionate about and something that you are currently participating in, which is God's church. We're going to talk about being grateful for the church today. And I'm, I'm nervous because I don't want to come across like I'm, like I'm trying to uh, push something on you or sell something on you, or this is some sort of call for higher attendance, right? I, I always, every time I see people, it's one of the first things they say if they haven't been around in a while. Oh, good to see you, Pastor Danny. Yeah, sorry, my wife and I have been really busy. We've been sick, and uh, we're really hoping to get in more often. And I'm like, I, I, the first thing when I see you isn't how many times have you been to church this month. I just don't think that way. Uh, I'm passionate about the church, and I live out that passion simply because I believe that it works, and I believe that it's God's uh, calling upon his people within this world to be a part of it. And I don't know if everybody understands what that means exactly, but it definitely doesn't have to do with church attendance. I will say this, though, that uh, guys who are really into church attendance statistics, do you know that we don't even count uh, every single Sunday and then average those out? We count all four Sundays of one month and have to average those out for an equal Sunday because the average uh, church parishioner attends 2.2 Sundays a month right now. 2.2 Sundays a month is the average, like, committed church parishioner is just over two Sundays a month. And so uh, I, when Tom says that our average numbers are what they are, that's a really amazing thing when you consider that half of you aren't here every single Sunday. So it's a really powerful thing to be a part of a church, but I think also in many ways it's misunderstood. And so I want to kind of remove that shroud, and I want to talk about the church and, and really about you because as you're going to see, God has called you to be part of it because you are obviously it. So first off, what is the church? 
The church is the body of Christ of which he is the head. That's the spiritual, biblical meaning of what it means to be uh, a part of the church. That you, are, you have accepted Christ, therefore you are part of the body of Christ, and he is the head. And that makes him the lead pastor, the lead shepherd. He is in charge of it all. He leads it all. He guides it all. Ephesians 1, through 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. So, so much of the way the church is provided for, we're supposed to just really put on the shoulders of Christ. We're supposed to say, like we're trying to hear, hey, there's an opportunity to help, an opportunity to serve. But at the end of the day, Jesus is going to provide for us. We said that for uh, eight and a half years. People would say, you have money in the bank. You have this healthy congregation. You guys should buy a building. And we'd pray about it. And we just got this sense from the Spirit, from our lead pastor, from Jesus, who was basically like, nah, let's wait. And it, it, like, I was at times like, are you paying attention? Like, we we have 140 people that set up and tear down this church right now every single week. 140 people. God, those people get tired. Those people get exhausted. And then they get frustrated. And they want to know where are we going and what are we doing. And so eventually God provides for us this beautiful building through this beautiful congregation downtown. And all of a sudden we're sitting in a place where we're like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to figure the rest of this out. And according to the Bible, he does everything in every way. Everything in every way. Now, we need to look a little closer at that body of Christ idea. The definition of the church or body of Christ is really this. It's made up of all believers in Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost in in Acts 2 through now until Christ returns. That's the definition of the body of Christ that Jesus is the head of. From the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell all the way till now until Christ returns. This is what we are a part of. Now within the body of Christ, within that movement, we may regard the church in two ways. First, the universal church. And second, the local church. I want to talk to you about both of these. Because I have people who believe holistically only in the universal church. There is no need for the local church. I'm part of the bigger church. The church isn't a building, bro. And I'm like, no, but your marriage is falling apart and you have no friends and you should probably go somewhere and get help for that. Then I have people who are like, I believe in the local church. Unless you are attending and giving and serving and leading, you just, you just can't, this local church, spiritual church, I have no accountability. I'm out, in the, out under, in the, you know, I see Jesus when I hike. I'm out in the mountains. That's where I go to church. And these people over here are pushing carts and sweating and carrying people and, and bringing people in off the streets. And they're like, you see Jesus in the mountains? How about Jesus in the face of this homeless woman? How about get out and do something? And there's yet, like all things within Scripture and Spirit, there's these two different narratives that are supposed to be melded together in order for us to be a part of the church. Chris Potter and I are working on this right now, this idea that we're going to be a church that holds multiple narratives equally. You sometimes dive into Scripture, right, and it's like, this is how you live, this is how you live, this is how you live. And then you get into the Spirit, and it's like, well, let's just process this. Let's just sit in this. Jesus says, the Sabbath is important. Sure, you can eat on it. And people were like, that doesn't work for me. No eat or do eat is important or not important. Jesus is like, both. 
This is the idea of Scripture and Spirit, and this is the idea of what it means to be a part of both the local and the universal. So let's dive into that portion of what it means to be a part of the body. First, the universal church. The universal church consists of everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This verse says that anyone who believes in part of the body believes is part of the body of Christ and has received the spirit of Christ as evidence. And if you've ever taken a mission trip, if you've ever flown anywhere that you've never been and got off the plane and ran into the arms or walked into the arms or swung a hammer and built a house over the arms of people who are also praising Jesus Christ, you'll know immediately what it means to be a part of the universal church. Because I got to tell you, it's a, it is a beautiful code to walk into another place. To walk, I've been through China I've been through uh, South Korea. I actually, uh, not, not on purpose, walked across a river and shook hands with a North Korean guard uh, in exchange for Oreos. It was just a thing. I don't know. It's a different story, different time. But, uh, but, I, 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 but all, these things, all these things were in the name of Jesus. And when you finally find that other person who also been reading the same Bible, praying to the same God, created by the same person, and he is part of the universal church, the bond is unbelievable. We are all a part of it. All those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ comprise this universal church. It exists. It is real. It is biblical. So, yes, you can go see Jesus in the mountains. Yes, you can go find a person in Serbia who prays and connect with them instantly. Yes, the church doesn't need walls to exist. It is not about buildings or, 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 or specific things that we believe in Western culture make it a church. These other churches don't do half the stuff we do. And they do half the stuff we should be doing. There's a beautiful thing to be a part of this grand church. And it really speaks to God's power and who he is. Now, the local church. It's described in Galatians 1, 1 through 2, partly it says Paul, an apostle, and then he says this phrase, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Here we see that in the province of Galatia, there were many churches. They had a localized ministry and were scattered throughout the province. These were local, effective churches. This means a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, an E-free church, and etc. is not the church. As in the universal church, rather, it is a local church, a local body of believers. It is, it is individualized and focused on that community and the people that God is working within that community. This is a very, very powerful and important part of how God wants to use scripture here. I remember one time uh, when I was planting Kesset, I was, I don't know, a few years in, and I had this missionary from Africa basically send word through someone else that we weren't a real church because if you want to know Jesus, he said, you should be over here with the poor and the downtrodden, and he sent a bunch of verses. We hold church under the, the, the leaves of a specific tree that keeps the rain out, and it's a beautiful thing, and that's what the local church is supposed to be. And I wrote him back like seven pages. Because I believe that is what the local church is supposed to be. But here's the problem with all local churches, and it's exactly what he does. They compare what they do to what everybody else does and then rate themselves on how good they are. So how spiritual they are under a tree or how big their building is. Or I've even had churches say, what, you guys broke over 200 people? Yeah, now you're, you're not even a local church anymore. You're just a, now you're a concert. <laughs> 
And I'm like, where, where is that number at? Like, where did you get that hard line uh, wisdom from God that anything over 200 is, is now something more because it requires a different kind of mechanics? People within the local church become very proud of their local churches. And frankly, they become like soccer moms and soccer dads and t-ball moms and t-ball dads. And they're watching only their kid. And if the coach doesn't treat their kid right, then suddenly the whole system's broken. And it's just this whole, get out of here, Johnny. You know, you don't want to be on this team anyways. And I was going to bring good snacks, but now I'm not. That's an actual phrase someone told me at Potluck when they were frustrated. I was going to bring some good snacks, but now my family's out. Over like a time change. Like we changed the time from like 6.30 to 6. Oh, my husband can't even get off work till 6. I don't understand. I thought the local church was supposed to be for the local families. Don't you know some people work till 6? I'm like, why should, should I have swing shift church and early morning church? Like, like I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not Denny's. I don't have everything for everybody all the time. That's not what this is. And, and, and at the beginning, <laughs> yes, and at the beginning, at the beginning of the church, when you're trying to grab people and be a part and build something out of nothing, you're kind of that way. You're like, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah, you want sausage sandwich? I'll do it. What do you want? And as you get older, you start to get more, <laughs> more solid and like you're, you know, I'm probably not that guy. And, and then as you meet other pastors, you realize there's so many beautiful venues that God is using to express the beauty of who he is through different kinds of things that after a while, you become like me, 100% unapologetic for anything you don't feel God has called you to do. I, I want you to, to have your needs met, but there are so many local churches that Jesus provided, and frankly, your needs are Jesus's concern because he's the only one who fills every need in every way according to scripture. Not me, and certainly not Kessid. It's not our duty. Now, you know what else this means as a local church? This means that every single crisis, every single heartache, every single need in downtown Vancouver, we may not be able to meet. It may not be part of our, our footprint and what God is doing in us. There's a variety of needs that we could, we could go out and accomplish. But what we want to do here is meet the need well and consistent with follow-up. And we want to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And so all these needs, especially with the building, are going to come up. And then we're going to have to prayerfully Ask God, what do you want us to meet, and what do you want us to set down? I don't have time to go into it today, but I will one day. There's beautiful stories, and one specific, where Jesus is healing people, and it says people came from all over, and he's healing, and he's healing, and he's healing, and then all of a sudden he says, we're done. And I've always wondered what it must have been like to be that mom just outside the door who waited in line all day long, and now it's 9.30 at night, and all of a sudden the apostle comes to the door and says, I'm sorry, the rabbi's left. She's holding that sick child with an old man behind her, with a blind man behind him, with, with a woman that's still hemorrhaging behind her. Whatever it is, all the way around the corner, all these people that Jesus didn't meet their needs. See, we don't think about Jesus that way. But we certainly think about the church that way. And there's this beautiful picture of us being called to accomplish what Jesus said he came to accomplish, which was everything the Father has for me. The local church is designed and built to accomplish everything the Father has for us. Did I plan on ever being in uptown Vancouver? <laughs> was that part of my story? Is it written anywhere on our website? If I was like 
some churches that want to tie every single thing into the fact they knew God was going to do it. It brings more power. I try to go back and change my website to play our visions to be downtown or uptown. Our visions to be in a really uh, urban area. I never had a plan for that. I never considered that. But the second that God sat me in a room with those elders from Main Street and he said, I provide this for you. I went, we're an urban church. We're moving to uptown. The instant. And I knew he would provide the people in the heart for the needs that we were going to meet. But it means we're not going to meet other needs. And there's going to be people who leave, not because we didn't meet those needs, but because they're going to say we're a bad church. I've already had it. Focused on the wrong thing. People will see the building, spent too much money on this tile, could have got it cheaper at Lowe's. (laughs) Okay, I don't know. I'm just trying to give you this idea that the local church is supposed to be like children, each individual and a reflection of those who created them, but they're not all supposed to behave exactly the same. Within the parameters, this is how our family works, but they don't all look alike, sound alike, talk alike, grow at the same rate, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, or have the same personalities. So stop trying to make this kid look like the kids you grew up with that you love so much. Yeah, no clapping to that, huh? what I thought. <laughs> Got personal in here right now. This, uh, this uh, local church thing, it's, it's not about a denomination as well, and I think I, you can apply all those different things. I think as long as you believe in what's close-handed, I think the Bible's very clear. There's some very close-handed things in Scripture that make you a church. You believe Jesus Christ died for your sins. You believe in the sovereignty of God. You believe in the creation story. There's some close-handed things. And then, friends, there's some open-handed stuff that you really got to hold with multiple narratives in order to sit in and go, I wonder, and that's where we get all these denominations. And I think they're beautiful, and I sit with pastors of all kinds of different denominations. But we need to understand that even in this congregation, there's probably mentally multiple denominations. So that means not every sermon is going to tick every single box in what makes a great sermon for you. It's not even supposed to. I'm just another guy. I preach, I ask that God would remove the distraction, and then I swing for the fences with everything I've got, and oftentimes I will get a, you know, it's just a, it's just a triple, it's just a double. Sometimes it's a single, sometimes I strike out altogether. It was a Christmas Eve a couple years ago. Crazy town. I told my wife on the way home, I said, I'm pretty sure church is done. It was just amazing. It just didn't go anything like I wanted. I got more emails from that Christmas Eve about how incredible God impacted people's lives than any other Christmas Eve ever. And then I realized there's an entire church for people who preach bad. It speaks to a whole other congregation. They're like, this is way too polished. He's far too articulate. He can't be filled. But when I'm like, uh, I thought I, uh, people are like, oh man, this is God moving. Like, Really? Because that'd be a whole lot easier church to plant if I'd known from the beginning. I'd just walk up on stage every week and twiddle my thumbs and ask the Holy Spirit to bring something down, never prepare, whole bunch of people filled with love and graciousness. It was incredible. The local church is just an incredibly beautiful thing, and I love that God uses it and wants to accomplish all these amazing things within it for us. The local church is where believers can fully apply the body principles of verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read this to you. I'm passionate about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read it to you (laughs) as soon as I find it. Here, let's do a Bible race. Who's already there? Anybody? 
I won. <laughs> oh, so much pride in me right now because you, you didn't get there as fast as me. Bible Wars. Like, what a terrible thing to teach our kids growing up. Like, ready, go. Who's the winner? You're better because you found it sooner. What? Like, I've never understood that. Like, does that work to all of our children for dating too? Like, ready? You're 18. Get married. Like, it, 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 no wonder people get married too young. They were taught Bible Wars when they were younger. That's another side note. It's terrible. Like, I'll take you. Dad, I got it. Yes. All right. First Corinthians 12. Ready? Turn to the Bible you just got to just now. <laughs> this is a beautiful picture of how the local church works. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I love this right here. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many members. We are called to be different while completely being the same. We are called to reflect who he is and the character of who he is while completely molding together in harmony and shalom and togetherness because of him who created all of us different. That's what makes family so beautiful. Everybody's different. Dad and mom and, and, eat and son and daughter and daughter, they're all different. But then they come together and they all have, boom, one similar thing that makes them powerful within their differences. That's what the local church does is supposed to be. And the local church is supposed to be part of the universal church. And I'm going to say this gently, but you don't just get to be a part of the universal church and not reflect something about uh, how God made you and give back to the community. Now, I'm going to say this because, frankly, I've tried to walk as many people out the doors of this church as possible before the talks got hard. And they're going to get hard moving into the building. The talks are going to get hard. We're going to have to talk about what we have to do and where we have to serve and how we have to give. And some of that's next week and some of it's the next series just before we move in. So I feel like this is as filtered, tested as I can be. But I don't know if you know this or not, but church isn't primarily local church for you. It's for the people God has caused you, called you to come and pour back into. Yes, you learn, and yes, you fill up. But the reality is we are called to give to the people that have come, that have never been apart, that have never uh, experienced anything like healthy family. And we are called to serve them and love them and heal them. And so I wonder if sometimes as we develop in our faith, we should be more evaluating Sundays, not on how well the singer sang or the pastor preached, but how well we loved those God led to be loved? How well did I do at church today to look for someone who I could tell wasn't connected? That should be what earmarks a good Sunday for you. Not whether the sermon was awesome. It should be about whose hand did I shake that I looked into their eyes and I felt the Spirit of God say, they need to go to lunch with you. They need a hug. They need prayer. They need you just, just to listen. They need time. They need some of your talents. And maybe even God wants you to give them some of your treasure. But we should be evaluating church on how well we are the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears, not on how well the mouth does. Because that's just one small part. Maybe the smallest part. And this mouth wants to remind you, you sit in very special places right now. 
You sit in your own pulpits right now. And there are people in here that are first-time guests. There are people in here that are long-time guests that are walking through those valleys, and they need a hand to reach out and hold them. But if you just walk by and don't set aside a little bit of time or a little bit of money or a little bit of, of energy to pour into their life, they may miss the opportunity to know the Jesus you know as well as you do. Just let that soak in for a minute. The beautiful thing is, and I'll put it on the screen, this makes the local church more than an organization and instead a living organism. In the same way, it's not a business, but a body consisting of many members and functions. This is the local church. This is what it is. This beautiful, incredible, universal, and local gathering of people around this room, this city, this nation, this world, that pray and ask God how they can be his body, his hands, his feet, his mouth, his eyes, and so touch people that are dying of internal spiritual thirst. And we're walking around with canteens of it because God has filled us and continues to fill us with his living water. Won't you pour it out to someone today? Won't you quench somebody's thirst? You say, I don't know how to share. I'm not a good, I don't care about all that stuff because it's not about you. I do believe, I gave you a verse at the beginning. It says that Jesus does everything in every way, and that includes every excuse you can possibly make up that you're going to lay before him so as not to be a part of the local or the universal church. But I can't, and Jesus does everything. But I don't in every way. Shut your mouth and help. That might be an easier way to say it. <laughs> This. I, I, I know, I heard a wow over in this corner. I told you I filtered everybody else out. This is just guessing people. If you're new, I apologize. <laughs> you should expect more of that. So, so this is, that's what the church is. Now let's look at what the church does. What the church does. There's two different examples of what the church does. I just want to read them to you. I want to kind of read them over you in a sense and let you understand that this is what the church does does. The first one is in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. It says one day Jesus is healing. He's doing all this incredible stuff, and he's getting this, this reputation. And so it says that people are piled into this house in order to hear from him his words and also receive his healing. Verse 17, and on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus." I don't want to move on from that, but again, we're in a church service. God himself is preaching, and all of a sudden, some boys start kicking through the roof. There's tile hitting the floor. People scattered. Everybody's silent. They don't know if it's the Romans attacking. They don't know if it's crazy people. They don't know if it's zealots. They have no idea, but they wait. Jesus clearly knows, and he's like, oh, I've been waiting for this. This is going to be awesome. Some ropes hit the ground, thud. It's like Indiana Jones in the snake pit, dust everywhere. No one can see. It's a really dusty house. Crowd, the, the crowd is silent. The dust starts to clear. And all of a sudden, you hear these guys start counting. <sighs> 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 and they let down on a mattress 
a man who is paralyzed and shriveled and hurting and crying, not because he's about to be healed. He doesn't know for sure that's about to happen, but because as he's being let down, I just want you to think about it. Let it, let it, this is, this is what the Spirit does with me. Just let it happen. As he's being lowered down, this man sitting on this bed is looking up into the eyes of who? His friends. His friends. And they're crying, and he's crying, and now we're all crying. Because you just got invited into the paralytic man's story. And they're letting their friend down, and they're trying to wipe their, their tears. And, and he's crying, and they're crying, and certainly Jesus is crying. And the man hits the ground, and Jesus walks up. And he looks up, and everybody's like, this is crazy. Who's paying for the roof? <laughs> no one ever thought of that guy in the back. Like, I don't care who'd get healed. Who's taking care of this? But he gets ushered out the back door. He's wrecking my story. Even Jesus had ushers. He's like, out. <laughs> Jesus walks up and he says to the man, your sins are healed. He heals his sins first. And everybody's like, how can this be? And how can this happen? And Jesus says, are you more impressed that I forgive sins or more impressed with this? Now your body's healed. And under the blankets, they begin to fill out. And his friends have come around the corner and they walk up and they pull off the blankets. And he, this man's looking at his hands that can move. See, this is a picture of the local church. We aren't called just to go, you're hurting? I'll pray for you. That's the number one response. Don't pretend like it isn't. I'll pray for you. you oh, I'm sorry, your marriage is paralyzed? Oh, man, definitely. I'll think about you today in my quiet time. Oh, your, your body's sick? Oh, man, definitely. I'll, I'll write a prayer request, turn it into my church. Our pastor's awesome. You should hear him speak. This is not how the church works. The church sees a need spiritual, emotional, physical, and it rushes in and it sees where Jesus is, right? Which is within all of us. And it says, universal or local, I got you. Well, I can't walk. I can't talk. I don't know how to say anything. I cuss a lot. I had a person tell me. I cuss a lot. She's here now. I cuss a lot, right? <laughs> you might hear her laughing louder than anyone else at the moment, but I cuss a lot, right? And, and Jesus is like, what? This, the church grabs people and it takes them in through any means necessary, back door, front door, roof, it doesn't matter. And it says, Jesus, Jesus, this person's hurting, their marriage is falling apart. Jesus, this person's hurting, single mom. Jesus, this person's hurting, they don't know how to afford. Jesus, this person's arms are hurting. Jesus, this person, you name it, I don't care. In everything, in every way, Jesus leads his church. And we are called as the church to bring those people to him, no matter what we have to tear apart to do so. This is how the church works. This is why you're supposed to be a part of it. This is why you have a consideration card in your hand because we have a building to open up. And then phase two, and then God forbid, phase three. But people get excited about the beginning of these journeys and then they get tired because life happens. And they forget that they're supposed to be a part of everybody's story in the same way because I'm here to tell you there's been many days I've been that man on the mat. Many days. There's another story, similar story in Luke. It's Luke uh, chapter 5, 
No, it's not. It's another story somewhere else. You got me all emotional now. I got all emotional. It's in John 9, John 9, uh, verse 5. And it says that, uh, that Jesus is, is moving and Jesus is working and he's accomplishing all these things. And it says, as long as I am the light of the world, having said these things, he spit on the ground. He sees this blind man, right? He sees this blind man and he wants to heal him. And he's told people all over he's been the light of the world. And so he sees this blind man. And people stop pondering philosophy because that's what church people like to do. Is it his sin or his mom's sin? Are you post-trib? Are you pre-trib? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to help blind people see. What trib is that? I'm blind person trib. Because Jesus sees this man and he's like, ah, it's neither. And he says, spits on the ground and he takes some mud. And he puts it over the man's eyes. And he says to the man, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He reminds the man. The man who, by the way, doesn't believe. He's a pagan. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now this man goes off and tells everybody. And then those with authority, those as in the church, are like, Nah, 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 this didn't happen in the church. This didn't happen in, at, at, at temple. This didn't happen. Bring him in. And they question him, and they question him, and they question him. And over and over and over, they question him. This second time, John 9, 24 through 25, it says, So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, the one who healed you. The one who, he didn't do it in church, and he didn't do it how it fits. This is a whole switch to the power of the universal church. He didn't do it inside the confines we understand. The other story is a power of the confines as they should be. But this healing happened just with Jesus outside the walls, just a part of something bigger. And they don't understand it. And the man says something so very beautiful. He answers, I don't know if he's a sinner. I have no idea. I do know this one thing, that though I was blind, now I see. He says, I do know that. He says, I met Jesus and now I see how to live. I see how to, see how to find peace. I see how to be a better husband. I see how to manage my life. I know Jesus and now I see. And it's not always physical blindness that falls off. It's spiritual awakening that comes on. And suddenly people who know Jesus can see what matters in this world and what doesn't matter in this world. And you don't even have to be a pagan to understand it when it happens to you. This is the power of the, of the universal church and a picture with the paralytic man of the local church. And they're both beautiful and they're both amazing and you're a part of both of them even if you don't know it. I'll share with you how these stories impacted my life just this week. I have a pagan grandfather. Uh, it's a, a man that I don't know very well. It's actually uncle, my Uncle Dave's father. And, uh, and uh, I don't know him. I, I, I've met him only a, a handful of times, really. Maybe, a, I would say, 20 times over my life as a kid. Just, just, I just didn't know him. He'd pop in at Christmas and then disappear. And, and lives local, by the way. I just didn't know him well. Well, he got very sick um, a while ago, maybe a, maybe a year and a half ago. And uh, 
uh, and, and he, well, I don't know if it was while he was sick, but it was right around when he was sick that his cousin from, from Arkansas Facebooked me, hit my grandpa's cousin from Arkansas Facebooked me, thinking I was my father because I carried my father's first name. So it would have been her, her, I guess, second cousin. So I said, no, sorry, I'm not, I'm not Dan, I'm Danny. And she said, oh, I, I grew up with your, with your grandfather and Harold, and, and, I, and I know him. And I was like, you know, I don't really know him now. And he's sick right now. And she said, yeah, I've heard he's sick. And she goes, would you like me to, to send you some pictures? And I said, sure. So she sent me some pictures of my grandfather. That's a sweet scooter, actually. Uh, I, I, this is one of my favorite pictures. He's 19 right here. And I just want to point out that even when this was taken, um, he still has a very large tattoo on his arm. I'm just saying genetics are what they are. I took this picture of him because, because of his sickness and because of the pictures that I had to show him. I ended up with my uncle, who has spent a lot more time with him, of course, um, connecting with him. And I, uh, I, I spent quite a bit of the last uh, few months at his very small house uh, hearing stories about who he was and what he thought and about sharing with him Jesus. He used to ask me at the end of the stories to pray, at the end of the, the visits to pray for him, which I thought was just fascinating. So I would pray with him and pray with him, and eventually um, I invited him to church. My grandfather sat in the very back row, the first seat over there on the edge. And I knew that that day I was going to do a salvation message selfishly just for him. And so I preach this whole sermon, and at the end, I do what I do, right? Everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed. And I don't know if you can tell, but there's a chair over here in the back, and lights hit certain chairs. Well, he sat underneath one of the chairs that hit the light with his, he had great hair, by the way, just incredible hair. Uh, and it was pure white, and I asked everyone's heads to bow, and everyone's head bowed, and the whole place but his. Instead, he just stared straight at me underneath the light with his amazing hair. And so I preached straight to him. And I preached salvation to him. And I asked if he wanted to know to be Jesus. You didn't even know this was happening. And a bunch of people I know came to Christ. And my grandfather didn't, didn't say anything. He didn't say anything during the service. He didn't say anything afterwards. After music was done, he listened to his son sing. One of the only times that's happened, I believe. He uh, got up and with his wife, they left. I continued to visit with my grandfather, and eventually he said to me, I want you to know I forgave so-and-so some money they owed me. And I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, well, they owed me some money, um, and I, I forgave them. And the reason that, that I forgave them uh, is because uh, if God's going to forgive me all the bad things I've done in my life, I certainly should be able to forgive somebody else. And I knew then that my grandfather accepted Christ. I spent the next few weeks teaching him and sharing with him and, and, and praying for healing, of course, with him as he deteriorated from this cancer that he had until this last Tuesday when he passed away. I went over to his house, and on his bed there was a Bible, of all things. Not a very well-used Bible, but a Bible. And I took his Bible out, and inside his Bible... 
were tissues bookmarking two different stories. And I wondered, what does a pagan, now newly formed Christian, read? And so I opened his Bible, and I didn't really look close, but I took the pictures of the tissue papers, and then the Bible's brand new, although it's from like 1967. And I want you to know this, and I hope it blesses you like it blessed me. Because the two stories that a pagan, an 84-year-old pagan, newly found Christian reads are the two stories I preached with you today. The story of the paralytic man and the story of the pagan blind man who knew nothing more than that Jesus said, I love you and that I forgive you and that you can see. These were his stories that he marked that I think beautifully illustrate what it means to be a part of the church. Because I'm here to tell you, he knew I was a pastor. He knew Dave was a pastor. He's known this the whole time. But isn't it profound that it took him coming to a local church, sitting in a congregation like this, to find the Jesus who's been, who's been searching for him for so long. It's a beautiful story. And so today, we covered his chair in a, in a white shroud, and we laid a rose on it to just remind all of us that we have a job here, and we're doing it, and it's amazing, and it's special. For some reason during the service, I went way over my time. I blame you. <laughs> you were just too responsive and too with me. Uh, I apologize to the worship team that's waiting back going, where's our 14 minutes of worship going to go? Uh, they're not. Instead, I'm going to stand you. We're going to close in prayer remembering the power of our God and the amazing work he does. Will you please stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, in this room right now, there's a lot of stories, a lot of people that have friends, family, grandmothers, grandfathers like mine, people that need to know you. I ask, Lord, as we engage with your spirit within our local church, within our universal church, that, God, we would just recognize we play such an important part. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for what it is you're doing, for the way that you're using us. It is beyond our ability to understand, and yet, God, we want more of it. We are thankful when you take over services and do what you want to do. We are blessed that you call us children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week.